We are continuing this morning with our attempt to refresh our vision of the Christian life and the church. And having started with God and the gospel a couple of weeks ago and seen that our chief aim and response to this good news is becoming like Jesus or becoming truly and fully alive, we're now considering the path to that end. How do we get from where we are to becoming fully alive, becoming truly human again? to becoming restored image bearers of God. And the way that we summarize the path, and it's not saying that this is the only way, but we see it as faithful to Scripture and as helpful for us, is that we grow into the fullness of life as we simultaneously take up worship, community, mission, and catechesis. We think of these as four directions or trajectories, the upward direction, worship. Uh, the deep word or downward one, catechesis, the inward one, community, and the outward mission. These are four gifts of God that we are called in response to his grace to take up in the power of the Spirit. These are about loving God, the vertical axis of worship and catechesis, and loving neighbor, the horizontal axis of community and mission. Our neighbor in our midst and our neighbor around us in the world on mission. In other words, these are the way of love, loving God and loving neighbor, the way that Jesus summarizes the will of God for his people. And it's critical, as we we talked last week, that we take these things up together, because if we take up one to the exclusion of the others, and this can often happen in Christian communities, we become caricatures, where we have one feature that is distortedly large and the rest that are quite small and obscure. So to grow to be like Jesus in a holistic and balanced and right way, we need to take up all four of these things in our lives, these gifts that God has given, and grow in his grace, grow into becoming more and more like the God who made us uh, to be like him and made us in his image. So last week, we considered the upward trajectory of worship, the one gift that rightly in the, in the four kind of compass hangs over the top at true north, hangs over the rest. Today, we're staying on the vertical axis, but taking the the opposite or the downward, deepward motion of the loving God axis and considering um, this deepening movement, which builds foundations and strengthens roots, a direction or gift that we call catechesis. Catechesis. So this word catechesis comes from the Greek verb katecheo, which just means to teach or to instruct, or to share a communication that one receives. And this word catechesis was picked up by the earliest church in the first several centuries as a shorthand for the ministry of teaching God's people the truths that Christians live by and how we are to live by them. In the tradition, that most definitely included the earliest years of one's conversion, from the pagan world into the mystery of the life of God in the church. That would be a multiple-year process for people who saw the Christian community around them, wanted to know more, found themselves attracted and drawn to the life that was breathing out of who they were, and knocked on the door of the church and said, I want to learn more. They became what was called the catechumenant, and they entered into a two-year process of instruction and formation. And so catechesis very clearly indicates this early years of training and deepening in the foundations of the new life of God to which people are entering through Christ. 
but it also can include and does throughout the tradition the formal instruction and teaching ministry of the church that is an ongoing lifelong process intended to shape the people of God to be more like him. So it can cover both. In their book written on catechesis, Gary Parrott and J.I. Packer use this definition. Catechesis is the church's ministry of grounding and growing God's people in the gospel and its implications for doctrine, devotion, duty, and delight. We went through a year of catechesis formally at church uh, last year together as a community, and we looked at these aspects of doctrine. What do we believe about God? of devotion? How do we live a life of spirituality, of relationship with God? And for doctrine, we looked at the Apostles' Creed, and for spirituality, we looked at the Lord's Prayer. And then for duty, or our direction in life, ethics, we looked at the Ten Commandments. And historically, this is the way that the church has approached these topics of what it means to respond and to grow deeper in the truth of God as he's made it known to us. So that's a quick overview. So through the lens now of Psalm 1, which if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open up to Psalm 1. We want to consider four things about this deepward foundational movement of catechesis. First, in what is catechesis rooted? Second, what is its aim? What's the goal? Third, why do we need it? And fourth, in what does it result? So Psalm 1. I have a lot of favorite psalms. This is one of my favorite psalms. I love this psalm. The psalm begins, Blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law, the Torah, the instruction of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Catechesis deepening, instruction, the teaching of the church worked out in our lives is rooted in the revelation of God, the law of God, the Torah, as it's mentioned here. This word Torah usually is translated law as it is in the ESV, but it's perhaps better translated for us because we immediately, when we hear the word law, think of rules and lists of rules, perhaps better translated instruction, which may, rather than just a list of rules, at least give us the the image of a manual or a guidebook that's beginning to show us the way to do something. This is more than just a list of rules, though, of course, rules are certainly included in God's instruction. Think about the means by which the Torah um, communicates to us the rules or laws of God. It's through a story. Technically, this Torah word, not necessarily here in Psalm 1, but in Jewish tradition, looks at the first five books of the Old Testament, which tell a story. And they tell a story about a God who is at work in creation, and a God who, despite the rebellion of humanity, is at work in redemption, when he calls Abram in Genesis 12, and begins to do a great work of rescue and restoration of his purposes for humanity in Abraham and his descendants, which he promises is one day going to bless all the nations of the world. I don't know if you caught it, but in our Deuteronomy 6 reading earlier, when the son comes to the father in Deuteronomy 6.20 and says, Dad, why do we live a life like this? Why do we keep these statutes and obey these rules? Did you notice how the father answers the son? 
he begins to tell the story. He says, you know, we were a people enslaved and in bondage. I'm going to find it so I don't have to um, ad-lib it. He says, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed us signs and wonders, great and marvelous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that, we might bring, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. He begins to tell him the story. It's the story of God working in the world, rescuing a people that is the means through which God's truth and instruction is communicated to his people. This story teaches us about who God is, objectively. God makes himself known. And about what God has done in the world. That's doctrine. Truths about who God is and what God has done in the world. This story teaches us about how to be in relationship to this God. How do we enter in? How last week do we worship him? How do we come to know him and walk with him? That's spirituality. And this story also, of course, includes the Ten Commandments and God's instructions and pathway for life, which is ethics. And it's this instruction that is the the, the place from which catechesis arises teaching on these matters of what it means to respond to the grace of God. It's rooted in this revelation of God that makes these three things clear, doctrine, spirituality, and ethics. And what is the psalmist's disposition to this instruction? Verse 2, his delight is in the instruction of the Lord, and on this instruction he meditates day and night. This disposition of delight, of meditating upon. The word there means to kind of mull over again and again. And a good picture for that is a cow chewing the cud, continuing to kind of bring it back up and chew on it some more and squeeze out more of its nutrients for life. That may be gross, sorry. (laughs) But squeezing this instruction to come to life. So it's rooted in the revelation of God, the instruction of God. What is its aim, secondly? As we meditate upon this word, the aim, verse 6, or verse, uh, yeah, verse 6 of Psalm 1, for the Lord knows what? The way of the righteous. The implication of the meditation upon the instruction of God is that this meditation leads the psalmist on the way of the righteous, down this path. Do you remember in Jesus' teaching in Luke 6, he says, look, if anybody um, hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what he's like. And he describes the picture of the man who built his house on the rock. In other words, Jesus says, hearing, and, 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 and then the, the waves come and the storms crash against us and the house stands strong. But if you hear my words and do not put them into practice, he says, then that house will experience great destruction. It won't have a foundation. The aim of catechesis, the aim of the revelation of God is to form a people who respond to the truth of God through a heart of obedience, which leads them on the righteous, the way of the righteous, as the psalmist describes that he is on here. In other words, the aim of God's revelation is not just cognitive affirmation. This movement of deepening is not primarily an intellectual accumulation endeavor. Don't misunderstand me. This involves our minds 
It involves a full engagement of loving God with our minds, of deepening our understanding of his word. But the intent for God's truth in our lives is not to, give us, to make us bobbleheads, to just kind of distort us by expanding our brains. But it is that in encountering and meditating upon and chewing over the truth about God and his work in the world and a truth about us that he's revealed and the truth about the way for us to know him is to lead us very particularly on this way that we would become this kind of people, the people that God is seeking. Last week, true worshipers. In Genesis 18, a people who embody righteousness and justice. That's why God says, I called you, Abraham. I called you to create a people who would live in the ways of righteousness and justice. I call, I'm, I'm, that's what God is up to in the world. So the heartbeat behind this work of catechesis in our lives is not just to give us better ability to articulate, though that is an important part of this, but it is that because we gain that better ability to understand, we then are able to walk more fully down that path. So the aim of catechesis isn't merely head knowledge, It is to enable practical Christian living, to transform us from one degree of glory to another, to become more like Jesus, to walk on the way of the righteous that the Lord knows or loves. That's what the whole story is about. It's about God restoring image bearers, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago. It's about humanity coming to becoming again what we were created to be. And this work of deepening, rooted in the truth of God, is to be met with a disposition of obedience. Here's my words and puts them into practice, which leads us to become the people that God had intended and designed us to be. This disposition uh, in the the first point is the disposition of kind of delight in. And the second point about the aim of catechesis, which is to form a people, means our disposition of obedience. These two dispositions of delighting in the truth of God and obeying the truth of God are what Jesus is referring to in his parable of the sower when he talks about the good soil that the seed is sown upon, that takes root and bears fruit 30, 60, 100 fold, delighting in and responding in obedience to God's word. So third, why do we need it? Catechesis is rooted in this revelation of God that reveals who he is, reveals the way to be with him, the way to walk with him. Catechesis is aiming for the formation of God's people. So why do we need it? Verse 1, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. I want to give two responses to why do we need it. The first one here in verse 1 is because the word of God, the way of God, is always contested. It is always opposed. There are always counterfeit offers to life all around us all the time. And the psalm begins acknowledging, I am not in that path. The blessing of God, happiness, joy, however you want to translate that word blessing, does not exist for those who walk down these contrary paths, which means there are these contrary paths. There are the wind and the waves that are strong and alluring in your life and in my life. There is a way of sinners. There is a seat of scoffers. There is a counsel of the wicked. God's word is always contested. Think back for a moment to Genesis 3. The serpent's words to Eve. Did God really say? 
That's where it all begins. The clear word of God is contested. It's challenged. It's undermined. Why does Paul say in Ephesians 4 that the church needs to grow to maturity in Christ? He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In the world around us, there is not only dame wisdom, this is Proverbs 9, crying out on the street corner for all to come to her and find life. There is also dame folly on the same street corner, crying out for all to come to her and find life. But they do not know, this, the, the, the proverb says, that the dead are there. We live in a world of contested messages. We hear messages all the time that call us to sell out to them and to find life. In Proverbs 1, the young man is urged by his mom and dad not to go down the enticing way that the sinners present to him, a life of pleasure and plenty and ease and security built on fraud and robbery and exploitation of the the vulnerable and the weak. Don't go down that path. Given all the counterfeit words, all the counterfeit life that is around us, there is an, an, an immense need for us to be grounded in the truth of God and his way of life, which is the labor of catechesis in the church and in our lives. It's a grounding labor. It's to get us to know and understand the true life, the true word, so well that when we see and encounter the false word all around us, that we'll we'll know it, we'll recognize it, and we will resist it with all of our heart. One of the reasons that the health and wealth gospel is so prevalent around the globe is, is for this reason, back to our little compass, that up and in and out, sincerely followed, passionately pursued, can lead us astray without this work of deepening. That's just a truth. And experience bears out that truth as we look around at the church today and see a large swath of the church swallowing and digesting something that is a distortion. It's a counterfeit. It's not the gospel. It's not the cross. But it's a message of falsehood that gets dressed up in Christian words. How are we to recognize that? How are we to resist that? How are we to walk against that? It's by knowing the truth. It's by being grounded in and understanding who God is, what he has done, what he calls us to be, and by holding firm to that deeply. Sincerity and passion in the Christian life is beautiful and needed, but it must be accompanied by a deep kind of reflection and thinking and engagement of our minds on the truth of God, in order that it remains directed toward the right end. Without rootedness, without this deep word in this compass, if we lose the deep word, we can become much like a ship without an anchor, easily blown off course by the wind and the waves of whatever storm rises. And this has happened again and again. Catechesis is that necessary anchor in a world where God's word is contested that grounds the church and you and me deeply in the truth of God with humility, with a posture of a lifelong learner, 
that we might remain faithful in a world of counterfeit life. So that's one reason why do we need it? Because we need this, we need this anchor. A second answer to why we need it is what I would call the grayness of life. That's not a very technical phrase, but the grayness of the world, which is to say that we live in a world and we experience our lives in a way where it's not often so clear how I am to live. We live in a world that requires improvisation to walk on the Christian way. God's word, while faithful and true and while adequate and sufficient, does not give me clear paths and instructions for every gray situation that I encounter in my life. Yes, it gives me guidelines and direction, but there's a lot of life as a Christian where I'm left to improvise, to do my best in whatever situation I find myself, to walk in a manner that's faithful. Here's an illustration from uh, the Improvised Shakespeare Company in Chicago. This is a group of actors in Chicago that completes a two-act, 60-minute Shakespeare play based on a title that's suggested to them from the audience. They'll, they'll get in there and the audience will show, set up a title and in a matter of minutes with no planning and no script, the actors produce an original play complete with iambic pentameter, these and thous, and Shakespearean themes of romances, family feuds, duels, and comedic relief. How do they do this? How do they produce such a Shakespearean show right on the spot without rehearsing a bit? Here's the words of their founder. Quote, So in order to make sure we're staying true to the form, we constantly read Shakespeare and keep our noses in the text so that when we put it down, it's fresh, it's fresh, and we can jump up and just start speaking with sort of an Elizabethan language. We immerse ourselves in this truth, in the standard. We immerse ourselves in Shakespeare so that when the moment arises, we can live Shakespeare right before your very eyes. And the second reason for why we need this is not just that there are a lot of counterfeit words, but it's also that in the midst of a world of gray, we are left to improvise through the power of the Spirit with the, with the blessing of Christ, Christian community, but we improvise all the time the faithful Christian life, the truly human life. And unless we know this script, unless we've been immersed in and continue to deepen in our understanding of who God is, of what it means to walk with him, of how we're supposed to follow him, we will be faulty in our improvisation. So this work of catechesis is grounding you and me in order that we might live faithfully in whatever is thrown our way in the world of experience. So that's why we need it. Finally, what, in, what, what does cate, uh, in what does catechesis result? And here I want to come to verse 3, the, the center of the psalm. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This ministry, this motion, this gift of deepening in the instruction of God produces a life that is robust, that is deeply, deeply rooted. Did you notice the tree planted by streams of water with its roots going down deep into the source of life that yields its fruit in its season? Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. One who grows as a lifelong learner in his or her understanding of the word of God, of the doctrine of God, of the devotion, the spirituality of God's people, of the duty of God's people, our ethics, is like this tree. 
And this is a picture that's given to us not just here in Psalm 1, but in all kinds of places in the biblical word. Psalm 52, Psalm 92, Jeremiah 17, other places that reflect on this metaphor of a tree. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. This deepening leads to fruit bearing. It leads to walking into the fullness of the life that God intends for us as his people. And this is contrasted with not so. That's the way I like to read verse 4. Not so the wicked. The wicked are not so. I grew up in Kansas until I was eight, and I like this image of the tumbleweed just blowing across the fields for what this described here about the chaff that just gets blown away by the wind as the grain falls back down, that which is of value. The life of those who forsake the way of the truth becomes a life without substance, without root. Yes, it may flourish in a moment, but it will quickly fade and be blown away by whatever wind of doctrine or human philosophy or new idea comes along and captivates its heart. But the people of God, rooted in this truth, will stand strong and firm by the grace of God and bear fruit in and through our lives until the end. In conclusion... Remember Mary? Remember that story of Luke 10, Mary and Martha? Do you remember Mary, her posture? Where is she? She's at the feet of Jesus. Are you at the feet of Jesus? A disciple under your master. Do you and I understand the the calling upon our lives to be lifelong learners who are soaking up and delighting in and meditating upon the truth of God? Do we understand the gift of this word that has been given to us to deeply reflect upon it, to think about it? When you think about your front line, maybe you're in business, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, maybe you're working in graduate school right now, do you think about your vocation, your front line, through the lens of this truth? Maybe you struggle with greed, or you struggle with pride, or maybe you struggle with lust. Do you tackle those questions? by learning about what this tradition has to say to us about the the word of God and how it speaks to that and how it has spoken throughout the history of the church as a, a means of going deeper, of deepening your defenses, of growing in the fullness of life. God has given us this gift of his truth. Are we taking up this wise path in response? Like the psalmist in Psalm 1, like this man who delights in God's word. This will anchor us. This will continually direct our passion, our action, even our love for one another as we grow to become the people that God intends for us to be, the people who are truly alive, substantive, fruit-bearing, 